0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming Williams. In this episode, I speak to Daniel Fieber, VP of Product at Earnest Research, a well established data provider that has expanded beyond consumer transaction data. In this episode, I speak to Daniel Fieber, VP of Product at Earnest Research a well-established data provider that has expanded beyond consumer transaction data. In our conversation, Daniel and I discussed the history of Earnest Research, how the company competed in the market by layering more value onto the raw data and the future growth potential in the space. Wishing all my listeners a very happy Easter. So in this episode, I'm joined by Dan Fieber of Earnest Research. Thank you very much for joining today, Dan thanks for having me on Mark. Appreciate it. you're very welcome um so Dan, Ernest Research is one of the kind of grand the granddaddies of uh, alternative data it's a, it's a name that always comes up it's it's probably one which will be a company which will be very familiar to a lot of our a lot of our listeners so um so it's i'm to be honest, I feel late. Um, having Ernest on the on the podcast so it's uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on even even though it is um, you know in the end type thing from my side <laughs> yeah I
1: appreciate that I'm a, a big fan of the podcast so uh, it's, it's great to be on and, and to finally connect
0: very nice fantastic brilliant okay well let us for the uninitiated begin by introducing why don't you just tell me what Ernest Research is and, um, and what the company does
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were founded in 2012 by a former investment professional at Lone Pine Capital. Uh, He was one of the earliest users of alternative data, uh, so to speak, in the early aughts um, when he was doing fundamental research for companies he covered at Lone Pine. And he in particular found, his name's Kevin Carson. Okay. Um, And and he uh, found himself doing a lot of work in in consumer. And one day a vendor came in with a, a credit card panel. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like the, these guys are purporting to say that they can track essentially sales before the company reports them themselves. Um, but he ended up being disappointed um, on two fundamental fronts. The first was it was wildly inaccurate. And then the second was there was a lot of meat left on the bone. And so, and so he ended up saying, all right, like I, I think I have some ideas around this. I'm going to start a company around it. So that, that was the genesis of Ernest. And so fundamentally what we do is what, uh, what, what what do
0: you mean by um, and obviously everything
1: has become more more developed since then, but what does wildly inaccurate
0: mean in terms of was there just not enough data or was it um, was the data unreliable? Do you know do you know what you would have meant by that?
1: Yeah, that it was unreliable that, you know, calling beats and misses turned out to be more of a coin flick than it should have been.
0: Okay. Um okay so so maybe the data was okay but the techniques for prediction might have been um what what needed to be worked on
1: Yeah that that's right and but it, it was it was revelatory in the way that he was literally in parking lots counting cars going into stores like that was with the clicker I and mean, that was the old fashioned way of of doing research or
0: and then and so and, and in a way, it might have been you might have expected a satellite company to, to get him first, you know, in terms of uh, if he was if he was hanging out in a parking lot and then uh, the satellite data guy should have been coming and saying, you don't need to stand here. You can uh, we can we can tell you how many cars are in parking lots.
1: They should have. Um, Those companies haven't been around, though. Um, I don't believe in the early 2000s, at least not selling into financial services. um, Late 2000s. Yeah. Okay.
0: brilliant. So that's so he um, he liked he saw the data, saw the potential, liked the opportunity and said, um, you know, this is the future and I should I need to get involved and maybe I can uh, I can I can uh, create a product which is competitive in the market.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And so he, he started the company in, in, in 2012. Um, and so fundamentally what we do is we partner with companies that as a byproduct of their core business model, kick off massive amounts of consumer behavior. Um, and so the, the first data set that you know, Kevin made his bet on was consumer transaction data. So credit card data, debit card data, bill payment data. And we view this as the crown jewel in terms of how you measure the consumer economy the consumer economy lends itself to frequent measurement and the data set that we were able to obtain in you know previously this this decade or i guess i guess last decade now yeah. um, it, it has tremendous breadth and so we were able to cover thousands of companies that our customers care about uh, so that that was a great place to start
0: it was a bit of a founding data set in a way for alternative data it was a very influential data set and um, and and a lot of people have 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 kind of crawled all over it and, and used it in the years since i believe um, do you know how someone would go about perhaps particularly back in that 2012 kind of early early kind of wild west days do you know how it was about trying to persuade the first credit card company to make its data available for this do you know how that process worked that that kind of obtaining the data being the first to obtain the first data set type thing
1: yeah it 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 was hard it was hard to convince (laughs) them to depart with their data at first, it's a bit of a chicken the egg problem, right? When you're starting a company, we have no revenue. Uh, so we're unable to show, you know, hey, there's actually value in, in monetizing your data. But um, luckily, we were able to strike that partnership. And it was off to the races from there. So, uh,
0: okay. And so Daniel, you joined your VP of product and data strategy, and you joined in October 2013. So you were what, what number through the door were you? You're quite early, weren't you?
1: Yeah, it depends on who you ask. So, um either 4 or 5. Uh, I forgot my laptop on the first day. I thought the the company would provide one for me. Little did I know that at a four-person company, uh we we were responsible for bringing our own laptop to the office. So, uh, I joined the same day as our as our COO and the joke goes, he didn't forget his laptop. So, um I guess I'll take number 5.
0: Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and so, what did the and what 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 attracted you? Because that would have been you're an investment banking analyst. What made you think at that point alternative data and this this newfangled company with its new ideas? What made you think this was your opportunity?
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't even necessarily so much alternative data. Uh, so, I've, I've, as you said, I was doing investment banking, and I actually wanted to join a smaller company, and make more of an impact, and so. Um, I'd been looking around for a while to join, you know, I was interested in, in tech in general, um, and this opportunity kind of fell into my lap. A friend of a friend, um, knew Kevin and Kevin was looking to hire uh, an analyst. Um, you know, in, in in the early days and we connected at Starbucks and Rock Center and I was at the company two weeks later.
0: There's a bit of a trodden path from investment banking analyst into alternative data. I'm thinking I'm thinking a lot of Yipit data are ex investment yep. banking and and um and Emmett Kilduff at Eagle Alpha and, and all these people. Do you do you see um do you see a a clear uh reason, like a clear path but from from one to the other? Like there's a reason why investment banking investment bankers are attracted by the alternative data space and the reason why alternative data space are interested in investment banking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, yeah, I found the work, to be honest, um, when I was a banker for for a grand total of one year to be uh, wrote um, and not really intellectually stimulating. So I just think um, in, in general, I think the trend is for bankers to you know move on to more interesting paths, um, particularly in tech. Um, so I think for, from that end, it makes sense. But we, we recruit heavily from investment banking backgrounds, so investment banking equity research. And the reason why we do so is we believe, and this is a different approach than a lot of our competitors have taken, um, although you need one like Yipit that has taken a similar approach. Th- this data requires interpretation. Like, you can't just pass it through and expect it to work. It- it's very complicated. The relationship between what you're measuring, i.e. sales for a company, let's say, um, and what the data um, itself is, purports to, to do, right, is not necessarily uh, one-to-one. It, it's a complicated relationship. So an example of that would be when Uber Eats partners with McDonald's, it blows a blind spot in the credit card data, right? Because the billing description for a McDonald's transaction doesn't say McDonald's, Uber Eats, it just says Uber Eats. And so if you don't have someone on top of the data to interpret it and essentially incorporate that into their models and... Synthesize the information for our customers. You're going to end up blowing a lot of people up, and so investment bankers that are able to, you know, they're they're strong with financial modeling. Uh, they understand how companies work, um, and so they they already come in with with that really important component. And then we essentially retrofit them into a data analyst. Like it, it's 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 relatively easy to train someone up to know SQL, understand data. Um, it's it's the other piece I think that is um, potentially more challenging. So that that's why it's a a pool that we tend to recruit from.
0: It's a um, it's a pool where you're going to guarantee a certain level of education and and smartness and brightness because the bank the banks will be very good at um, at kind of you know that's what they hire essentially is the is the is is the bright people. I yep. suspect it's an expensive pool to to get from as well. So there's a there'll be a there'll be a cost aspect of of paying for these for these ex investment bankers. Um, but yeah, so so that's that'll just be part of the part of the deal, won't it?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you join in, in 2013. Um, and so you were so um, Ernest Research, as you say, kind of started up started off as a as a credit card research um, data set. What were the What were those early years about? Were they about treading, treading Wall Street and trying to um, or or Boston or wherever and trying to get um, hedge funds interest in alternative data? Were you evangelizing for alternative data as, as an idea?
1: So yeah, the, the early years were about um, I, as I uh, had alluded to earlier, we, we have competition in the space and 1010 in particular had 80 to 90% share in the early part of that decade. And so those early years were about stealing share from them. And we really achieved, I believe, product market fit in 2016. And the reason for that was we came out with a product that was innovative at the time. And so the industry had been focused or fixated on calling beats and misses um, relative to, to consensus estimates. And obviously that's a really important part of what we do, but the why behind it was even more interesting and more important. And particularly for, for fundamental investors that had multi-year theses, right? So why did Chipotle miss revenue? What happened in the norovirus or E. coli outbreak at Chipotle? How are st- stores in, in locations where those outbreaks occurred? How do they perform versus locations where they didn't perform? Um, Lululemon customers. What happens when when an Athleta opens up next door to their customer lifetime value? These are the types of questions that this data is able to answer, but wasn't being used at the time. And so we created a, a product called Earnest Query that was one of the ser- first uh, self service products in the market where a customer could go in and answer these kinds of questions for themselves. And that at the time that was that was revelatory. Um, and so that's when we really saw uptake in our product in in twenty sixteen.
0: What were the what were what, what were the differences between the data sets um of ernest and and ten ten at the time?
1: yeah, they're very similar data sets. Yeah. Um, and so really it's it's what you do with the data so it's a team
0: find, and that's why you had to find the um find the find the strategy on top. that makes sense. Um, yep and so and so can you unpack the the this offering like what 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 did it look like? and what were so you presumably were Having to lay so the data is the data, you know it's credit card transaction data. It is it is a certain number of rows, whatever. Um, you then were doing some of that using potentially your investment banking experience and layering on some of that commercial knowledge. Some of that you were you were pulling together some of the um, some of the threads in order to explain the picture a little bit more, to make the signal a little bit clearer or or telling more of a story. Is that is that the kind of idea?
1: Well, e- even before that, though, Mark, so w- when we receive the data every day um, from our, our upstream provider, it's very raw. Like, in, essentially what you're getting is is a billing description. So you could have something that says, um, again, using the Chipotle example, C-H-I-P-L-O-M-A-N-E. And that actually means Chipotle, Omaha, Nebraska. And so the, fir- the, the first area that we focus on is data classification, right? And different companies take different approaches to classification, and we optimize for accuracy above all. Um, And so we have um, a human-in-the-loop approach, where that's where that that team of investment banking analysts... We're actually in there making sure that all the billing descriptions are classified the correct way to the right merchant. And there are data horror stories about this. So I mentioned the company Lululemon, for example. There's a few hundred stores in the US, and about half of them... In the billing description they don't even appear the the word lululemon doesn't appear in any way in the billing description it's literally like the shopping mall in which the um in which lululemon occurs so it'll say or or the street so the one in aspen colorado will say south galena street aspen ca in specific alphanumeric code and so data classification is crucial to everything that's downstream from that and we take a a different approach uh, relative to to some of the others in the market so that that's the first thing the the second would be data normalization so we work with an open source data set. so individuals can come into the panel and, and come out of the panel. And so you can imagine a case where today, imagine we have a panel of 100 customers and tomorrow we wake up and it's 200, right? You, you need to normalize for that. Otherwise, all your sales will have accelerated by 200% or 100% in that case. Um, and so that, that's the next step. So it's classification, normalization, and then that's when the interpretation layer. Once you have classified the data, you've normalized it, you've waited for geography biases, um, Uh, etc credit debit mix that's when you can really layer on that interpretation layer that you were speaking to earlier and we believe that that is a, a huge differentiator for for earnest in the market
0: i see the investment bankers sorry to harp on about this investment banking origin but i see the investment bankers being much more suited to that third layer than the first two um the first two sound to me like the kind of I don't know. Statistical, uh, like you have to have a close eye for detail, and it's kind of long and laborious and boring, and making sure any equals Nebraska and stuff like that. It's almost there's an element of data entry, but it's data entry that you have to be really hot on. Um, and potentially, I can imagine a a whiz kid coder, like an incredible tech, technical whiz, being able to come up with a coding solution to that to make sure it's right. I'm just I'm intrigued by a by a company of investment bankers. Having that uh, that patience, that attention to detail. Perhaps I'm, you know, showing some some uh, personal preconception about investment bankers. I don't know.
1: <laughs> what do you? Think? No, you're, you're you're absolutely right. So uh, I should clarify: it, it's human in the loop, and so we have machine le- like strong machine learning, data science, engineering that does the initial asset classification. But you need a, a smart human in the loop to make sure that those classifiers are are working correctly. And on top of that, you need to understand the business logic for a company. So for Netflix, for example, there's DVD packages, there's um, obviously um, their, their core um, streaming packages, and they have different price points in the data. They might even build differently. And so that a lot of that is where that human loop comes in, and, and they're helping you know, understand the data from, from a business perspective as well.
0: So it's a marriage of bankers and data geeks
1: yes, that's exactly right <laughs>
0: got it got it okay that makes that makes sense okay so um, and so then you have so as you say you've you've taken the data you've kind of you've cleaned it you've you've normalized it you've um, uh, so cleaned it you've classified it you've normalized it you have um, added your commercial insights on top um, and so what was the, what was the, how is the, how do you, how do you see the market as having developed during this time?
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting. So at, at the time, I think you would ask earlier, like, what did that first product look like? It was like, we made our customers download a Tableau desktop workbook and it was like 80 tabs. So imagine like, you know, like in Excel, how you can have tabs, Tableau is a data visualization software tool. And there were like 80 tabs and you would have to click through if you wanted to look at sales by week by channel for a specific company, you had to find the right tab and, and, and click, all right, I wanna look at e-commerce sales only for Macy's, right? So it, it was a pretty brutal uh, customer experience in the early days, but it, it was the first of its kind. Um, and so during that time, we focused on building great front end solutions that better uh, display our data and make it easier for our customers to draw insights from the data. Uh, and then we've, we've layered on multiple data sets in addition to the consumer transaction data. And that's what I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, and so we, we've decided to go very narrow for a subset of super valuable data sets, data sets that we believe bring tremendous value to our customers. And that's a different approach than some of the others in the market where they've optimized for breadth of data sets, right? Like you think of like a Quandl, for example, that it's more functionally like a data marketplace, if you will, they have you know triple figures, um, numbers of, of data sets on, on their platform. We, we, we don't have that, we have a handful. Uh, But we go very, very deep on those.
0: So we have, have we leapt now from 2016 to 2022? Yes. Yes. Okay, brilliant.
1: So then
0: we were, so we were doing the origins. And so now, so the development wise, you you are, Ernest is known as the kind of one of the, one of the kind of original credit card transaction companies. Have you, have you, um, uh, are you still credit card transactions? Have you, have you uh, expanded out of that?
1: Yeah, that, exactly. We, we've expanded out of that. So we now have, well, first we've expanded out of financial services. So we work with consulting firms and and corporates themselves. Um, and so um, that that's great for us. Um, there's a huge um, uh, thirst for data in, in the corporate market in particular, and that, that's our fastest growing segment at this time.
0: You've got, you got to change your vocab as well, haven't you? It becomes external data instead of alternative data.
1: <laughs> exactly. Everything is different uh, in, in the corporate market. Sales cycle is much longer. The vernacular uh, that we use is, is very different. Um, but the, fundamentally, the, the process is the same, though, right? We need clean data that's normalized appropriately, and then layer on, data interpretation. Um, do you char- so,
0: do you, char- do you charge them the same?
1: Yeah. Um, so typically corporates have, um, have, smaller, have smaller research budgets, although we work with th- three of the, the Fortune 10 companies and those, those companies will pay um, a, a pretty penny for, for data. Uh, they have massive data and research teams, um, okay. but yeah.
0: And, and what, and how much of your business would you say is now corporate and consulting focused? it? And do you see that as, um, you know, when you look ahead, do you see that as the growth area?
1: Yeah, I think that there, there's a lot of wood to chop still in financial services, and, and we're still growing there um, at a at a nice steady clip. Um, but definitely, I think you know this decade, the the growth engine is going to be is going to be corporate for sure. Um, and I guess you you, you asked about our, our, our mix. So today, um, almost a fifth of our customers are are in the corporate area.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, that's great. And you'd include consulting firms in the corporate area.
1: We, we consider them separate um, corporate. So consulting, uh, oftentimes we're working with them for diligences for um, and, and engagement teams for private equity deals. Um, so if you have a, a PE shop that's looking at a deal, it's timely, they need all the information they can about their target and its competitors uh, will work with, you know, your Bains, BCGs, McKinsey's of the world to facilitate those transactions. Yeah,
0: I've had McKinsey on the on the podcast and they are they are and have seen them at events and things. They're being very, uh, very, very active in the space. They're they're, they're the one that I've noticed. Um, But so data set wise. um, So you have you uh, have you expanded beyond credit card transactions and and what into?
1: Yeah, So so, uh, we brought on uh, mobile location data. uh, So foot traffic data and we're able to cover hundreds of companies and understand foot traffic trends and dwell time. Um, we brought on a, a web scraping data set that um, we built in-house. Um, so understanding promotional cadence, depth of discounting, um, what percent of SKUs are, are on discount. Uh, and then we moved out of consumer, which we're really excited about. Two years ago, we struck an agreement with the largest US clearinghouse of healthcare claims. Uh, this is an incredible data set. And uh, we've, we've built a, a healthcare team around it. We've seen nice Uh, early adoption on on that data set so far
0: wait a minute um the largest clearinghouse of healthcare claims so um insurance so insurance claims i break my arm um i go to my insurer and say i broke broken my arm you owe me money um and they what does the clearinghouse do in that transaction
1: yeah so they essentially facilitate um the the claim between payers and providers and so um, it's really it's bifurcated into pharmacy claims and medical claims. So, pharmacy claims: if you go to a retail pharmacy, say you know a, a CVS, um, and you fill a prescription, right? That claim is adjudicated in real time. The um, prescription is dispensed to you when you're at the pharmacy, and the uh, the clearinghouse is essentially the intermediary between um, the provider, in this case, the pharmacy or the, the uh, in, in the payer or, or the pharmacy benefit manager. So, we're able to understand um, in retail pharmacies. Um, uh, uh, prescription um, uh, dispension. so how much of a certain drug has been uh, dispensed. Um, and then on the medical side, we're tracking uh, therapeutics that are administered in a medical setting. and then we're also able to um, track and, and this is, is, is truly novel, um, uh, medtech, so medical devices. Uh, we can look at things like uh, transaortic valve replacements, right? Um, so there's a specific uh, medical device that's used in those procedures. and so we're able to track um, the usage of 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 that type of device, for example. So it's a, an incredible data set. Um, we're observing um, nearly a third of all u s. healthcare claims in the data. Um, and that's something that we're we're really excited about. And it's also a, a big signal for the company, right? Like we, Um, cut our teeth in in consumer for, you know, the first eight years of our existence. And and we've moved uh, beyond that now. So that's really exciting.
0: I feel like uh, last year, healthcare was a big trend in alternative data in terms of data sets becoming available. Um, So as so often is the case when you get someone like Ernest Research, which is one of the big players in the space. um, And I hear from you that you had got a massive healthcare data set two years before. It sounds like you were setting the trend and then the rest of the market um caught up so um so yeah kudos i suppose um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um interesting as well so you come from consumer um i remember back in the back in the in the um in the noughties, in the in the in the aughts i think they call it america um then in investment banking then um consumer leisure and healthcare were often put together so um healthcare does fit neatly next to consumer do you so would you now call yourselves kind of consumer leisure and healthcare and what would be um what would be the next uh sideways uh sector and would you and or have you not got leisure yet you need to start doing gaming and lodging and and things like that
1: yeah so i i guess we would we would fold leisure you know gaming and lodging under the the broader consumer umbrella and so that's okay. essentially how we how we segment our product offerings and so our consumer transaction data our web scraping data and our foot traffic data, we call that earnest consumer. And then the healthcare data set, the claims data set, we call earnest healthcare. Um, and so there, there's a lot to do in 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 all of those areas still. Um, but kind of looking, you know, looking forward, um, we view international as a huge opportunity. And so there's mm-hmm. been a a, a paucity of um of transaction data uh from international sources and we think that the market is, is going to mature there. Um, so we're excited about um, data sets that we're looking at internationally. And then also B2B data sets. And those have been the hardest to come by at scale. So when, when we're looking at a data set, right, we're really evaluating it on, on five fundamental f- fronts. So it's the breadth of the data set. So how many companies does it cover? The depth. So what kind of dimensions can you pull out of the data that's useful, i.e. you know, uh, channel, geography, uh, et cetera. Uh, the latency of the data, so how often is it updated, and, and what's the lag, the accuracy of the data, so the data doesn't do you much good if it checks all the aforementioned dimensions, but uh, it's, it's inaccurate, and then the scarcity of the data. And B2B, has been real, it's been really hard to find data sets that check all five of those those boxes. Oftentimes, you'll find a data set that measures um, a company really, really well, but it measures like one company. Um, and so that that's tougher to, to justify us bringing on onto our platform.
0: It's the relationship because I, I'm, I'm very familiar with um, the relationship between hedge funds and data providers, which is that hedge funds are getting um, data providers sending data sets to them all the time saying, how about this? How about this? I'm intrigued by the relationship between data providers and data sets um, in that are, do you have a team of of data hunters um, within Ernest who are going out, searching for the latest data sets to evaluate, or have you reached a certain size where they are now coming to you? And actually the, you've, the trick is a little bit like a hedge fund. You've, you've you've got to be quite good at like a basking shark, like uh, s- sorting through all of the potentials and, and picking out the gems.
1: Yeah, it, it's both. And so we're inbounded on a weekly basis from companies that want to monetize their data. Um, and so we, we've built enough scale where we're fortunate to be in that position. At the same time, we have a robust uh, effort to go out and, and hunt for the most valuable data sets. And so um, it, it, it's a bilateral um, effort.
0: And that would potentially come from clients, I imagine, would it? If they say, "Look, they uh, look if do you have anything in this?" and you've got five clients in a, in 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 five weeks saying, "Have you got this?" and you haven't got it, then you immediately think where can we get it is that is that the
1: uh, we we were introduced to um our our healthcare provider by a client
0: mm, love it that's heaven yep it is <laughs> <laughs> but, but that and that's and that's a um compliment as well cuz presumably the client um, likes what you do to the data as well, um, and knows that you have yep. the capability of actually doing the the cleaning, preparing, and and uh, commercial insights, as you say, to make it palatable.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Th- this client in particular, he had been a customer from ours on the on the transaction data front for for years, and uh, originally the 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 um, our healthcare partner was trying to sell a feed directly to this individual. And he was like I, I, I there's no way I can dedicate the time to um, to understanding this data set like it, it's massive it's super messy incredibly complicated um, but why don't you talk to, to Ernest um, and and maybe they can help out and so that that's how that worked um, and it was it was really fortuitous because they've been a great partner for us
0: fantastic fantastic um- and you, so you mentioned earlier that you have now started to focus on qu- quality over quantity. You've, you've, you're you're narrowing it down, and you're saying, "Look, which which of the data sets which have the most value?" And you basically, it sounds like you want a customer to come to Earnest to know they're going to get something good. Um, they don't have to sift through. There's going to be if it's an Earnest data set, it's good. Um, well, why? What's the what's the driver behind that thinking?
1: Yeah, I, I just think. You know, we when we look at some of the other platforms where there's tens of data sets on them, like it's very difficult to to derive value from all of them. Like oftentimes, you're working with like very small sample sizes, or there's not much coverage in, in a certain um, in a certain industry, and we have limited resources, right? And we want to put our chips behind big bets, and those bets being the most valuable data sets on on the planet. Now, there's a cost to that, which is typically these very valuable data sets. They're massive and complex, and so they require large teams around them. And so it's a simple ROI analysis where we believe we can provide the most valuable or we can provide the most value to our customers from you know a handful of the most valuable data sets on the planet, rather than spraying tens or even hundreds of data sets in their direction and asking them to figure it out.
0: Do you, um, is there a risk of, um, of doing that in that uh, you are, so there's a, there's a, the nice thing about quantity is the fact that a client, um, there's a possibility a client gets this data set of you and all your other clients haven't got this data set of you. So they know that, um, you know, there's, whereas if you've only got a few data sets, then any client is like of earnest is, is a, a risk of competing with each other. Do you see what I mean?
1: Sorry, not, not exactly Sorry. sure.
0: Sorry, uh, Is there is there a risk? So if you've got a... So some... I, I feel like some uh, data catalog companies in the past have had the full amount of data sets uh, from the most valuable and the largest and the most everything to the most random and also perhaps there some uh, the presumably there are some which which don't have value but the nice thing potentially from a from a buy side perspective is that you are if you're sifting through this this box of data sets and you're finding a gem there's a possibility that everyone else hasn't found that gem you know and so you've got that potential of being um, having something that most people most other people haven't found within that box whereas if your box is five shiny things Um, and there's only five, then the chances are that every earnest Research um, client, if they come to Earnest Research, they're going to have the same shiny things. And so there's that competition aspect from the outside.
1: I I, I see. Yeah, so I I think we've made this bet because we believe that this data requires interpretation um, and and contextualization. And it's very hard to do that across hundreds of data sets. And so we believe in order for us to deliver the most value, it's best to focus our efforts on these massive, complex data sets that we know are going to be incredibly valuable for our customers. So that, that's the first component. But the second is, um, on your point around, I, like if, everyone, if every one of our customers is getting the same data, it becomes less valuable. Mm. We, we, the, the types of requests that we get from our customers to, I want to look at the, a cut of data this way or that way or this type of cohort, um, the variability is, is tremendous. Like People are doing their own research and really... The differentiation is, is, is coming from the client and how they use our tools. Um, and, and so that that is going to exist until the end of time. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, how do you identify which are the most valuable data sets? Is that something that you are doing crunching the numbers on internally? Or is it basically decided by what the clients are liking the most?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, like this, we have this broad framework, right, the kind of five dimensions that we evaluate data sets on you know, breadth, Depth, latency, accuracy, and, and scarcity in the market, um, and so that—that's the, the framework that guides us. Um, and then, you know, we'll we'll strike an evaluation agreement with an upstream provider, make sure that you know those boxes are checked. Or as many of those boxes are checked, we'll do market research with our customers to make sure that it's um, that this dataset meets an, an unmet need in the market, um, and, and go from there.
0: Fantastic. That sounds great.
1: Is there anything we haven't covered? It
0: sounds to me like we've like um I feel like I'm up to date. Is there is there anything major which we haven't um which we haven't touched on in earnest research today and 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 potentially tomorrow?
1: No, I, I don't think so. Um it it's been a, a a wild ride so far and we're really excited about uh, about the next several years. So, well, yeah, why don't we? Thanks, Mark. Why
0: don't we actually? Do you know what I want to? I want to ask. Um, it's rare that I get. It's not rare, but it's it's nice when I get somebody who's been alternative data for a long time and has been at the front in the front line for a long time. Where do you see alternative data as being in 2022, and where do you see it um being in 2025
1: and 2028? Yeah. Uh, so I think you're going to see. Massive expansion in international markets. And right now, um, you know, we've seen data sets come out of Canada, Australia, the UK. um, But I think that there's been a dearth of of valuable data, uh, particularly in like uh, mainland China, for example, or um, continental Europe. And so I think that that's going to be the story or one of the major stories in, in the coming years.
0: If you had to bet on one, Europe or Asia? Europe. Europe it brings with it a lot of challenges as well in terms of, um, language and it does uh, Mm -hmm. jurisdiction and and regulation and all the rest. Um, but yeah. Okay. So that's, so that's the exciting thing is that, is the potential for Europe and Asia to get up to the same level as the United States.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, these are brand new markets right now. Um, and I think that, that that's going to accelerate this decade. And then, and then I guess I should mention the corporate opportunity as well. So, Again, right now, I, th- I feel like we're um, to use a, a baseball analogy, still in the first inning, um, uh, on, on the corporate side, on the corporate opportunity. And I think that by the end of this decade, alternative data will be ubiquitous at corporates in the US.
0: Fantastic! I think that's I think that's brilliant. That's a very um, positive note on which to end. Um, that the future future looks bright for us all. So, um, so brilliant. Well, Dan, thanks so much. Um, that was that was great. Worth the wait of of uh, of, <laughs> of, of having Ernest on and. Um, I must say, by the way, it's not because I've been asking or, or or you you guys have been not wanting to do it. We just haven't got together up to now, so it's not a um, it's no it's no one's fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but no, worth the wait. Delighted to have you on, and um, and yeah, best of luck with the with the
1: coming years. Cool. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate it.